Welcome to the Vineyard Northwest podcast. At Vineyard Northwest, we aim to be a culture that welcomes heaven to earth by raising up world-changing kingdom leaders. We hope you enjoyed this message from one of our executive pastors, Wilson Cochran. Hey, good morning, everybody. So Kristen Brown's allergies have literally been healed. I don't know if you caught that. Like, she had a dream where God healed her allergies, and she has not had allergies since then. So come on. All right. Um, my name is Wilson. Like Rob said, I'm one of the executive pastors here, and got, got a message for you today. If you can't tell already, the kind of emphasis today is healing. You guys picked up on that. I mean, even my message title, A Community of Healing in a World of Pain. And if you are familiar, you know, with like Christian holidays and Christian tradition, you also know that today is Palm Sunday, which is the day that we celebrate when Jesus was embraced by a whole huge crowd of people um, as king and they worshiped him and they threw palm branches down at his feet, thus the palm branches we brought in the room, um, and, and worshiped him as king and received him as king. Now, the interesting thing is there was a specific event that triggered them to look at Jesus this way and to embrace him this way. So turn with me really quick to John. I'm not going to tell you where, just John, okay? Now look at John 12. I've never noticed this before until recently when I was thinking about what to speak about on a Palm Sunday, I was like, hey, why don't I look at what happened on Palm Sunday? And I noticed something I've never noticed before. So in uh, John 12, 17 and 18, the crowd that had been with him when, La- when, he w- when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So I just skipped a lot of the context there, but the whole reason that this whole crowd meets Jesus in Jerusalem and are throwing palm branches at, their, at his feet, taking their coats off and letting him walk over their coats to honor him was because of him raising Lazarus from the dead. This, this big healing in the ministry of Jesus um, elicited an extraordinary amount of worship and praise. So I thought, let's focus on healing today. Palm Sunday Um, One of the long lost messages of Palm Sunday is that Jesus is a healer. And you know that Jesus came to bring a ministry to earth. And that ministry was the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. What Jesus did was he came and said, hey, I'm the king. There's another kingdom. The the devil is real and he is the current kind of king of this world. He has a ministry. We see what the devil's ministry looks like on earth, right? So Jesus came to bring God's ministry to earth. And then when Jesus went to heaven, he actually commissioned us to carry on his ministry on earth. And one of the um, key signals of Jesus's ministry taking place on earth was physical healing happened in people's bodies. Now, um, if you've ever been here before, or if you're a you know, family member here, if you're in Northwest, you know like physical healing and healing prayer is a big focus of our church. A couple of years ago, uh, Dave Workman, who knows Dave Workman? Come on, who loves Dave Workman? All right, so if you don't know Dave, he pastored um, another vineyard in the city for many years and is a real spiritual father of Cincinnati. He spoke here last March, um, which is crazy to think about last March. Did you know that there was a time where we did not wear masks? 
and there was no pandemic and none of that was going on. Um, I think we're getting closer and closer to being relieved from a lot of that. But uh, Dave spoke here and he had a kind of a word for us and he shared a couple healing testimonies that I listened to this week and I just wanted you guys to hear because they're so encouraging. So um, watch this. This is Dave speaking here last March. One of the things I love about Vineyard Northwest is your calling here. And there's, a, there's an anointing, there's a calling that this church has to be a healing community. And that's really powerful. That means that God trusts you with something when he gives you something like that. And healing in every form, spiritual healing that, that establishes our relationship with God and, and each other, and emotional healing that reconciles soul and spirit, and yes, physical healing. One of my favorite emails from uh, one of our volunteers was this. He wrote, one day I noticed that one of the people who worked for the same company that I do had been missing. His foreman told me that Jim was gravely ill and in the hospital. He was suffering from heart failure complicated by a severe case of diabetes. After work, my wife and I went to Mercy Hospital. The receptionist told us that Jim was in ICU. We found Jim alone in this room with more tubes and wires connected to him than you could ever imagine. He appeared to be sleeping, so we prayed quietly and anointed him with oil. As we finished praying, he woke up and was surprised to see us there in a the room. We explained that we had come to pray for his healing and visited only a few more minutes and left. Five days later, he was back at work. He then explained that when, he had, when we had visited him in the hospital, he had been in a coma for two days and wasn't expected to live. His wife had gone home to shower and prepare for what appeared to be a death vigil. She arrived about a half hour after we had left and found Jim awake and alert. She and the doctors couldn't believe what had happened. Jim told them God did it and explained to them about our visit and prayer for his healing. The doctors were skeptical and even kept him a couple more days in case he had a relapse, which he didn't. My question is, yeah, was that a coincidence? No. no. Well, <laughs> will you wait till I finish and then I'll tell you the... Can't be telling the answers before I get to the... So because people at the church where I pastored were... Uh, I mean, we literally prayed for, the teams prayed for tens of thousands of people hands-on. We'd come across stories periodically like that. A while back, I personally talked to two different people whose newborn babies were born with no heartbeat or breathing because of breech births or other difficulties in delivery and were brought back to life. In one story, the, the mother's birth attendant wrote this in her journal. She wrote, when the baby came out, she coded. There was no heartbeat or breath. I followed the baby and began to pray in the spirit. I had a sense of peace in the hospital room, even though it was chaotic. I spoke life to the baby, declaring that she will live in Jesus' name. After several times of saying that, her heart began to beat. Jesus raised her from the dead. She went four and a half minutes with no heartbeat and nine minutes until she could breathe on her own. Today, that child has no uh, physical problems. Come on. All right. So who gets excited when they hear about God healing people like that? Um, there is a, there's a deposit here in our church to carry on this ministry. And I'm not saying at all that we're the only church in the city. Trust, every church in the city is actually called to be, uh, have a, a physical healing ministry. But it's something that we're choosing, man, we really want to steward and focus on. And as I was thinking about that, and I think we are stewarding it really well, and I think that we are pressing into it and everything, 
but I feel like God has an exhortation for us when it comes to physical healing. And I mean, maybe it's just for me, but I think it's for other people in the room too, or us. I think it's us as a collective church body. This is a word for us. Not all of Jesus's healings happened in front of his eyes. Not all of Jesus's, not all the healings Jesus performed happened even in his presence. Now, um, as a historical church, we've kind of de-emphasized, historical church like in the West, we've de-emphasized the power of God breaking into a moment and, and things happening in that moment. So rightly so, I think we've kind of compensated and we've been like, how do you, like we pray for someone, what do we always say after we pray? How does it feel? <laughs> You know, we have the pain scale. Hey, if it was a 10 before, where is it now? And we like are very focused and equipped to um, realize and to help people connect with immediate miracles. But, and so what I think we've done a little bit is kind of like looked down on anything that isn't happening instantaneous in front of us. And we've thought like, you know, um, God wants to do it in this moment right now. And guess what? He doesn't always want to do it in this moment right now. You know how I know? Because we see that in the life of Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, 10 lepers come to him to get healing and he tells them they're cleansed. It says, as they went, they were cleansed. Not standing there, right there in front of Jesus, but as they walked away. And they were further enough away that only one of them came back. It wasn't like they were all just, it wasn't like be cleansed. They turn around and start walking and realize they're cleansed. That's not what I think happened. I think this might be hour later, 20 minutes later. I don't know how much longer, but they're cleansed. And one of them returns to Jesus and says, hey, I was healed. Um, Jesus puts mud on a blind man's eye, and on a blind man's eyes and tells him, go to, the, go to a pool and wash that mud off. That's a whole sermon right there to explain whatever the heck that's going on. Um, but... When does the man receive his sight? After he goes and washes his eyes. Jesus didn't walk with him and go get his eyes washed with him. He got healed later. The story of the centurion's servant. The centurion comes to Jesus and says, hey, um, will you, Jesus says, yeah, I'll come to your house and I'll heal your servant. And the centurion says, don't even come to my house. Like, I'm not worthy to have you in my house. You just say the word and it'll be done. And it's done. But Jesus wasn't there, didn't witness it happen. So what I want to tell you guys is, um, God is calling us to believe him for healing even outside of right in front of us. And actually, if we're overly focused on the miracle happening in front of our eyes, what we're being influenced by is 21st century America. Because how quickly does your phone turn on? And how quickly do you expect people to text you back? And when do you want your, how fast do you want your internet to go? What's the, GPS, tell me the fastest way to get to work. We live in a culture of extreme immediacy. We want it now. And I just want to tell you that like this doesn't, this is not a kingdom principle. Immediacy, gratification happen now. That's not a kingdom principle. Sometimes that is what God is doing, but other times it's not. Do you guys remember Isaac Armstrong who spoke here this past summer? You didn't get to hear him. He was amazing. I think he spoke in August or July. But uh, he's a missionary in Mexico. And he told two incredible healing testimonies. One of a baby who had a flesh-eating bacteria on its face where its face was rotting off and the baby was literally dying. Isaac, it was in a village in Mexico, points his finger to the baby and says, be healed in Jesus' name, infection, get out, 
amen. And he gets in his car and he leaves. And he finds out later that the baby was healed. He comes back later and holds the baby and sees, wow, this child is healed and it's better. It didn't happen in front of Isaac's eyes. He told me another story of a woman who had been, who was like eight months pregnant and um, she was having a miscarriage. All of the amniotic fluid had drained out. She'd had like, she'd, she was having a miscarriage and he prayed for her. They came and found him in the middle of the night. He prayed for her, sent her home. The next day she woke up and her stomach was full of amniotic fluid again. And her, the pregnancy was totally restored. And he's since, you know, hung out with that little three-year-old girl now and everything. Um, what struck me about those healings was they didn't happen in the moment. And I was like, Isaac, do you understand how this works? Healing happens in front of you, not later. <laughs> but then I look at the Bible and I realize, no, like this is not always how healing comes. We have permission to stay in a place of faith and belief for miracles and healing to happen even after we leave the person's presence. And I, I just want to say, I think we're supposed to implant this in our worldview. What I, I'm, I'm not saying like, you need to walk away and just continually say, they will be healed, they will be healed, they will be healed. Or, and I'm not saying actually that's a bad idea. <laughs> I think it's probably a good idea to walk away and try and stay in a mental, uh, stay in a place of hope and faith in your heart and be like, God, you're still working, you can still do this. But that's not even my main takeaway to us. My takeaway is that we would insert into our repertoire, insert into our paradigm of healing, that it doesn't always happen in front of us and that it can and um, we wanna see more of it like how it happened with Jesus, where it happens later. Amen. Do you, are you guys down with that? Let's res, like, let me just pray real quick. God, um, we want to walk in the healing ministry of Jesus. So Lord, we just say, uh, if we've built up any bad mindsets as a church and not everyone in this room has, okay. Like again, there's probably people that are like, Wilson, I've been wanting you to say this for a while. Um, but <laughs> Lord, I repent. I just tell you, I'm sorry for building up this mindset of immediacy. I want you to say that out loud if you need to. Um, and, and God, we're going to stay in a place of hope, and we're inserting into our healing paradigm that healing can come later. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So I actually don't want to talk any more about physical healing. Let's, let's listen to Dave's word again to us about healing really quick. It's just, a th just the 30-second part. One of the things I love about Vineyard Northwest is your calling here. And there's, there's an anointing, there's a calling that this church has to be a healing community. And that's really powerful. That means that God trusts you with something when he gives you something like that. And healing in every form, spiritual healing that, that establishes our relationship with God and, and each other, and emotional healing that reconciles soul and spirit, and yes, physical healing. All right, so there's a calling and anointing on our church body to be a healing community. Say a healing community. God, I love this. He said, God trusts us with this. Wow, <laughs> that's pretty sweet. Spiritual, emotional, and physical healing. Um, kind of like the last thing, a little bit of a correction to us, I think, or a correction to me at least, is I, don't, I want to be an agent of healing beyond demons being cast out and bodies being restored. And I know that God does that through me and through all of us, but to the extent we are actually aware of something has an impact on how much of it will release. 
Now, I'm not saying that God is totally limited by like, do you believe it? No, like God breaks all our boxes. He's not limited by us. But when we actually recognize that there's more than just physical healing, we start to steward that in our heart, that we're releasing more than physical healing to people. That's part of our mission. We're going to see more of it happen. So I want to talk about how we can faithfully steward this calling of, let's just call it like spiritual and emotional healing and, and, and like heart healing, relational healing. But before... I focus on that and we talk about that, we have to recognize and kind of build a little bit of a worldview and a paradigm for what it means that we are in a world of pain. A community of healing in a world of pain. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, and you can read it. The God of this age, world is the same kind of idea, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this age. Does anyone else have a problem with that idea that Satan's the God of this age? Adam and Eve, they bore God's image, the first people. And the idea here is that they had the king of the world, the God of the world's image. And as image bearers, they were supposed to represent him to earth. What did they do? They, instead of representing God's will, they turned to Satan, obeyed him, and something was corrupted and broken deep inside of them at that moment. They became spiritually dead, and they began, they began to be in a war of imaging God and imaging the devil. We see the earth. We see, how, we see, that, we see that people have this incredible capacity for good. We see that people who do not know Jesus have incredible capacity for good. But then we see that people have this incredible capacity for evil. And I mean, there's believers, you know, like, who's, like we just heard this the horrible news about Ravi Zacharias, a Christian apologist and speaker who was involved in systematic um, sexual abuse of people. And... Um, this horrible, horrible capacity for bad. That's all a result of imaging Satan, imaging the devil, representing the God of this world on earth. He has blinded the minds of unbelievers. He's blinded their mind. They cannot see the light of the gospel. Ephesians 4, 17 and 18 says this. I don't have it memorized. I need to turn there. Says this. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Gentiles meaning people who don't know God. In the futility of their, say it. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. You see, the root problem is the hardness of heart. Due to. There's futility in their minds. They're blinded. They're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God. Why? Because of the hardness of their heart. The hardness of the human heart of the un... You know, we have new hearts. Just to remind you that real quick. <laughs> we have new, amazing Jesus hearts. The world has hard, unbelieving, corrupted, broken hearts. This is their core problem. It's not... Their, their core problem is not what they believe. Their core problem is their, you guys know what? I'm going to use a cool word real quick. Their, the ontological nature. 
Ontology is the study, it's the state of something's being. On an ontological, on a being level, believers are broken, or unbelievers are broken and their hearts are hard. I'm gonna come back to Ephesians 4, but really quick, 1 John 5, 19. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. I know this is not the message that we like to champion, okay? In our stream and in our church and our movement, we, we are um, way more about the kingdom is here. The kingdom of God has come. And that is true. It has. Jesus, that was his main message. He didn't go, the kingdom of God is at hand, but it is also not yet. That wasn't the message Jesus preached, okay? He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Participate. The kingdom is here. Paul comes in the back half and he opens up that we are in a time between two kingdoms. The kingdom of Satan is still present on earth and is still influential and has power. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one, okay? But we are taking it back. There's a difference between power and authority. Satan no longer has authority on earth. Humanity gave Satan authority. Adam gave Satan authority. And guess what Jesus did? Took it back. (laughs) Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. That's a significant statement. He's, He's saying, look, Satan doesn't have authority anymore. I have authority. But we see that he still has power. And power is simply the ability to exert influence. Not rightful influence, but the ability to exert influence. Um, and th- this, we are from God. Here's, what it, here's another way to say that. We are of God. We are of God in the world. We are, we're in the world and we're living in the world, but we are not of the world. That is not our home. We're aliens in the world. That's not our uh, That's not who we are at our core. We're not of the world anymore. We're not born of flesh and blood anymore. That's not our identity. Our identity is we're born of God. So we bring, okay, I'm I'm not gonna get to the next point yet. Really quick, here's what we wanna take away. Will you go to the next slide? Here's our takeaways from what I'm talking about. I only have 10 minutes left. Okay, the world is spiritually dead and spiritual blind to God. If you are, the world is spiritually dead and blind to God. If you are dead and blind, you are powerless Therefore, God has to initiate the relationship. He has to initiate the healing. This is the state of the world. It's, on, it's, it's God initiating towards us, not humans reaching towards God. For God so loved the world that he sent, he gave his only son. And First John says, he first loved us. Later on in 1 Corinthians 4, it says, he shone into our hearts. He shone light into our hearts. Um, I love this, this quote from David Livingston. He's a famous missionary to Africa. God had only one son and he made him a missionary. God had only one son and he didn't say, build a great life. He said, go. (laughs) What is he asking of us? Go. Here's the core problem, though. Okay, take this way. Hardness of heart. That is humanity's problem. The hardness of heart. They're futile in their mind. They're alienated from the life of God. They're spiritually dead and blind. Why? 
What did Ephesians 4 tell us? Due to their hardness of heart. So what do you think we need to do? Connect heart to heart. That's the answer. The answer is not a good argument, although a good argument can connect to someone's heart. The answer is not a miracle, because um, you know, lots of people see miracles and don't turn to Jesus. <laughs> I was in Norway several years ago. I prayed for a guy. His ankle was totally healed. He was limping. Then he wasn't limping anymore. And I said, bro, Jesus has introduced himself to you. Like, do you want to give your life to him? And he's like, no, I don't. Like, okay, like, it's not a miracle that will lead people to Jesus. <laughs> it's something touching their heart. It's heart connection. That is our ministry. Okay, John 20, 21 says this. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Wow. How the Father was sent is how we're sent. And guess, what, guess how Jesus was sent? First of all, he was sent to fulfill the promise that God spoke to Abraham. God spoke a promise to Abraham. I will bless all the nations of the earth through, your, through you and through your seed. Jesus brings that to fulfillment. Jesus is God's agent of blessing to all of the earth. And then we get to continue that mission. Jesus fulfills a promise and we get to walk in the promise. <laughs> we, get to be the, we get to be that promise fulfilled in partnership with Jesus. John 1 says that Jesus was light. John 1, 3, 8, I love this verse. Oh my gosh, like it's so badass. Okay, this verse. John, you cannot, you like, this is the only way you can talk about it. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Why did Jesus appear? To destroy the works of the devil, okay? He went up to the cross. That was how he destroyed the works of the devil. He put the Holy Spirit in us. That's how we destroy the works of the devil in partnership with him. But this is the mission of Jesus, to reclaim his possession, to reclaim his world that he loves. Ephesians 5.8 says that at one time we were darkness, now we are light, and we need to walk as children of light. We are something. We are light. Now act like it. It's not act like it so that you'll be it. It's you are it, so act like it. <laughs> okay? Don't do to become. Rather, act like who you really are. That's what I'm inviting us to, is to act like who we really are. 1 John 5.12 says this. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. We have life. Unbelievers, everyone else does not have life. What are we to do when we see this, what we possess, what we have? We have to release the life that's in us to others. Second um, Corinthians 5, 18 and 20. This is the last one I'm gonna hit really quick. This is just so powerful. I'm not gonna read all of them. Uh, don't even put it up there because they won't listen to me. So just take that down. Here's the things, Okay. Listen to what this passage says. Actually, you just trust me. Read it on your own later. Here's the key points. Paul says this. God reconciled us to himself. He cleared the debt. We don't owe a debt anymore. We're not in bad standing. And then he actually gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He said, hey, this thing that I did to you, I, I'm giving it to you for you to carry out on the earth. Then it says this crazy thing. We're ambassadors for Christ. That's our identity, ambassadors. 
It says this too, before that, he reconciled the world to himself. What does that mean that he reconciled the world to himself? It means that Jesus paid for all sin. He didn't just pay for the sin of the people who would believe in him. He paid for all sin ever. Now, getting your sins paid for does not mean you have received that gift. The message we carry is, hey, bro, did you know that God has removed the barrier? That you actually, like, sin, there's nothing separating you from God anymore. Like, open your heart to believe that God is good and he is, he is, he is open up a path of reconciliation. Receive him. And then that is when people have to, you know, make the decision. Um, then this last statement, just super, super sobering. God is making his appeal through us. Therefore, we are, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Now, that could feel a little heavy, <laughs> but what we really should say is, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you have given me the greatest possible purpose I could ever imagine, ever. I have been given a core purpose in life that is more fulfilling than anything anyone or anyone can ever offer. The reason that you are not held under when you get baptized and you just go straight to heaven is because you are an ambassador. <laughs> Think about it, why? You know, why not just die after you come to know Jesus? Like if God's just gonna do it all on his own, save the world all on his own, then why are we still even here? <laughs> It's because we're supposed to be ambassadors. He has actually chosen. I'm going to make my appeal to humanity, salvation through humanity, through saved, redeemed humanity. So Lord, we just say thank you. We shake off anxiety or the burden or responsibility or fear. We just even shake off the word evangelism. <laughs> and we just say, Lord, thank you for purpose. Thank you that we get to reveal you. Oh, I'm not done, Kendra. And we get to bring reconciliation. <laughs> Okay, so here are the takeaways. <laughs> that was a very good prediction. I always tell them, like, just come up. I'm not going to welcome you up. Just come up, you know? So good job, okay? So here's our takeaways. Here are our takeaways. We are children of light. We have life. No, yeah, okay. We are children of light. We have life. And we are ambassadors. We're children of something, okay? You aren't light in and of yourself. You are light in connection with who God has made you to be. Um, you actually have life, <laughs> and you're an ambassador. Now, I think, the, I think I have grace to go a little over since the kids were in here, so they're gonna have extra energy back there. So I'm just gonna finish my message. Um, now, to end, here's what I wanna do. I wanna look at a really great healing testimony in the Gospels. And I think it's such a word for me because it's counterintuitive. Will you throw up the picture um, from Dubai? Yeah. Okay, so a couple weeks ago, I was in Dubai, and uh, I was with a, um, a group of missionaries who were ministering there. And I just want to tell you about this picture really quick. We're sitting in a park in Dubai. The, the juxtaposition here is really remarkable. You see the four guys? Now look past them. Do you see the other guys kneeling in the background? They're all praying. They're Muslims. They're doing their afternoon prayer, okay? So we're here studying about Jesus. 
This guy all the way on the right, his name is Dinesh. He grew up Sikh, he's Indian. Guy on, next guy's name is Imran. He's Pakistani and he's been a believer his whole life. The next guy's name is Jaju. He's Indian and grew up Hindu. The guy on the left, his name is Isaac and he grew up an atheist in China, is now a follower of Jesus and he's a missionary to Dubai. Um, so what we're doing is we're studying the story of the Good Samaritan together. I wasn't leading it. Shren, um, Shren Wu, who is the who led this YWAM team as part of this church, led this trip. And here's the really sweet thing, okay? Dinesh, he's been a believer for less than three months. He's leading this Bible study. And he brought Jaju, who was a Hindu, because he led him to the Lord, to this Bible study. I know so much more about the Bible than Dinesh, but he is doing the works of Jesus more than me. (laughs) Knowledge does not equal fulfilling the mission of Jesus. We don't need more knowledge, okay? Um, and here's one other really beautiful thing. India and Pakistan hate each other. Recently, I was flying from Pakistan to India, and I had to fly to another country and then fly to Pakistan because they won't even receive each other. Pakistani and Indian. This is heaven right here, okay? And a Chinese dude and an American white guy, okay? This is the kingdom of God. So we all know the story of the Good Samaritan, Luke 10, 25 through 37. I just want to tell it, and this is how I want to lay my message. A expert in the Jewish law comes to Jesus and he says, hey, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says back, what does it say in the law? Tell me. So he puts the ball in his court. He says, you know, you know, like, why don't you tell me? And he says, well, it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and Jesus says, boom, you got it. You answered rightly. If you do this, you're going to live. And the, the expert in the law is like, crap, that's not why I asked you these questions. <laughs> I was asking you these questions to kind of like trap you and trick you, not to get affirmed. <laughs> and so it says that the, the lawyer wants to justify himself. And he says, okay, well, who's my neighbor? Why is he asking that? He's saying, who do I have permission not to love? He said, dang it, you just said that um, I have to love people? <laughs> like, can you give me some parameters on this? Would you tell me, like, who's on the list of don't love them? Because I'd really like to make sure I you know, have that list articulated. It's an inward-focused question. And here's how Jesus replies. He tells him a story. Now, I want to pause here and just think about this for a second. The reason Jesus told a story I mean, Jesus probably had a great word of wisdom, cut to the heart type of answer. But he knew that you actually cut to the heart, not by going to people's minds first. He goes to his heart. He tells a parable, a story that you have to think about. You have to mull over. You have to engage. You can't just figure it out. You have to let it go past your mind and down into your spirit and your heart and be like, what's he trying to say? It's causing vulnerability in the guy to actually receive the story. Jesus is going after heart connection, not uh, um, uh, argument. And he tells the the story that most of us know a uh, a guy gets mugged as he's on a journey and he's left for dead. A priest who's a religious leader of the day doesn't help him. A Levite who would have been in the same kind of um, group as the lawyer also doesn't help him. So the Levite's like, wait, 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 what? And then a Samaritan and a Samaritan would be like to us a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon. That's what we would hear. 
He would be like, Jesus would be like, all right, so this guy got mugged and Van was walking down the street and Van stepped over him and kept going. And then um, Luke, cause Will, I mean, I would definitely stop. And then Luke <laughs> steps over him, you know? And then Bill Johnson steps over him. And then, you know, whoever else you love, okay, steps right on past this guy that needs help. And who stops? The one that this Levite thinks very, 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 very little of. The guy who isn't worshiping God right. <laughs> He's theologically actually incorrect in his worship of God. The Samaritan, he stops, picks the guy up, puts him on his donkey, takes incredible lavish care of him. And then here's how Jesus ends the story. He says, who was a neighbor to the man? What's the, what does the lawyer ask? Who is my neighbor? Jesus is like, nah, I'm not even gonna address that. <laughs> This, the question isn't, who do I have to love? The question is, how do I be a neighbor? He turns neighbor into a verb. He says, who neighbored? Not who's your neighbor, who do you have to love, but who should you love? Or, but be a lover, be a person of love. He takes it from an inward focus, like what, who do I not have to love, to um, an action, an outward focused thing. So, the reason Jesus tells this parable is to bypass mind and logic and get to the heart, to confront bias, prejudice that, the, um, that this Jew had, and then to set the bar high for deeds of love and sacrificial service. To set the bar. He didn't say, it wasn't, this isn't a story about giving someone a buck to get on the bus. <laughs> this is a story about you starting to walk because they're, in, on your donkey, you using your money with no guarantee or expectation of being repaid. A huge detour. So let me end it here, okay? And just crash landing so bad. I wish I did this different. But sacrificial action-oriented love is what God is calling us to. Sacrificial action-oriented love. Here's how you do it. You need to slow your life down. Do not be in such a hurry so that when God has a sacrificial action oriented moment for you to love someone, you can do it without crazy anxiety. <laughs> Your life actually has the space. But then listen to this. Even when you have the space, God's going to say, Your plans are less important than loving and helping this person right now. We look at it as a moralistic, ethical thing to be on time and to make sure that we do everything right. And now I'm not going to tell 1130 service this because they're always late. But <laughs> Um, we need to be willing to be late <laughs> for the sake of following our master, Jesus. If he says, stop and love this person, then your plans go out the window. And there's wisdom in all of this. But sacrificial action-oriented love. Embrace plan disruption, okay? Embrace your plans being disrupted when God puts someone in your path for you to sacrificially help and love. We guys stand up. The second thing that I feel like we're, I had some really good stories to tell you, but I'm not going to. Um, the second thing is this, heartfelt listening. We will bring healing, we'll be a community of healing when we are heartfelt listeners. Heartfelt listeners aren't, when you're listening to someone, what we wanna do is not think about what we wanna say back. We need to think about what are they saying? Someone's talking to you, 
What are they saying? I want to understand them. I want to understand their heart. Not what am I going to say back? I want to hear them and then ask a question about what they're saying. Or um, say something really empathetic, like, mm, wow, that's hard, or whatever, okay? But heartfelt listening. Sacrificial, action-oriented love and heartfelt listening. These are our takeaways for being a healing community. So Lord, I bless everyone in the room. Thank you. This is our identity. This is who we are. Um, this is not something we need to conjure up, but we can just live freely from who we really are. I just break off any chains that are keeping us from living in our true identity. In Jesus' name, amen.